right, real quick show of hands. How many of you have been through middle school? Raise your hand. Just raise it. Don't do this. Just raise your hand, okay? How many of you loved, loved, just loved your middle school experience? Lot less numbers. Okay, I'm just making sure we're on track here, okay? I am, I am going somewhere with this. Um, between my fifth and sixth grade year, uh, this really weird thing started happening in me. And it was, I thought I marched to my own drum most of the time through elementary school, but in sixth grade, something strange happened. There was this odd pressure to look around at everybody that was around, and I had to figure out who I was gonna be like. Like, what was I gonna be? What, what group of people was I gonna fit into? And where was I gonna sit? And who was I gonna be hanging out with? And, and what was I going to be like? There were two, two things that in particular I knew I had to have. I had to have ev these two things that everyone else had in, in between my fifth and sixth grade year. The first was this pair of pants. Um, these were called skids. Uh, some of you will know these pants, some of you won't. Now. Growing up, didn't have tons of money, but my mom would make me skids. She made me, she would go to the fabric store, buy the pattern for pants that were very similar to this, and make me my own. I think I actually only owned one pair of skids ever in life, okay? The second thing that I had to have was this pair of shoes. These are fire, all right? These are fire. That's what, that's what Zeke says every time he sees a good pair of shoes. He says, these are fire. Or he says, these are trash. These are fire, all right? I saved up money, put it in a jar, saved up money so that I could rock these Reebok pump. They were amazing. And yes, the pump worked, the release valve worked. It was so awesome to be sitting on the sideline. Oh, wait, that's too much. Like... The power I felt as I wore those shoes and those skids. Like, it was amazing to me that that time period in middle school, when you go through the phase of who am I gonna be like? What do I want that everyone else has? That we just do that. That's what we end up doing. And middle school is a good reminder for us that we really aren't as original as we thought. Like, we really aren't. Whether or not you know it, Israel went through the exact same phase. Israel went through their we want to be like everybody else phase. And it had to do with their relationship with God. It had to do with the role of king over their lives. See, Israel had no king. She had some judges and she had prophets. She had priests. But she had no kings for a long period of their life. But what Israel did is they would look around at the other nations and go, wow, that king looks really cool. That king has a big giant helmet and, 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 a, and a crown and he's, he's big and he's got weapons and he's powerful. So you know what, God? We want a king like every other nation around us. The problem was Israel wasn't like every other nation around them. God was their king. They did not need a king. So Samuel, who happened to be the prophet at the time, was like, God, this isn't going well. Your people, they're demanding a king. And God's like, well, make sure they know that if they have a king, he'll take their land, he'll take their daughters, he'll take their sons, he'll take their, their food, he'll take their money, he'll do all these things. He goes and he tells the people, 
all of the terrible things that will happen because they have a king. Did you think, was Israel like, oh right, never mind, we don't want a king. Even in hearing all that they would lose, Israel was like, look at all the other nations around us, we want a king. Samuel goes back to the Lord and the Lord says, give the people what they want. And I have heard it said over and over and over, the worst thing that God can do to you is to give you what you want if it is not him. He looks at God and Samuel having this conversation and Samuel's like, what do we do? God says to Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they are rejecting me. So Saul is tapped on the shoulder as the the one who will be their king, head and shoulders taller than everybody else, looks like the ideal king, but if you know Israel's history, things don't go well for Saul. Saul does things that are not good in the sight of the Lord, and God is saying, I'm done with Saul. Now we have tapped David on the shoulder as the next king, a king after God's own heart, which you also learn David has some struggles of his own too. But there is a difference. Saul and David exist at the same time. David knows he's now been anointed the next king, but there's a problem. Saul is still the king. So how does David walk knowing that he's been tapped on the shoulder to be the next king? He walks very carefully. But, you know, you have a scene like David and Goliath, and you have a whole army and a king sitting on the sideline doing zero, and you have this shepherd boy show up, knock down a giant, and then you have song, songwriters writing songs like, Saul's killed his thousands, David's killed his tens of thousands. Like, David needed to be like, hey guys, you're gonna get me murdered if you keep singing songs like that. Like, you're gonna get me killed. And honestly, when a giant spear came out of Saul's hand right at David's head, there you go. You begin to see Saul and David's relationship is not, it's not so good. So from that moment, David begins to live on the run. David's world is crashing in many, many ways because he's already been told you're gonna be the next king, but he's living and hiding in a cave. He's running for his life. His world is crashing down. He's in darkness. He's alone. He's, he's in this cave now. And, and many believe that Psalm 57, the, the psalm that we're gonna be reading from this morning, was written from inside this cave as he hid out for his very life. These words that David writes are not penned around a Thanksgiving table. They're not penned around a four-course meal sitting in front of him, ready to chow down. They're not penned when he's got his entire buffet of options sitting right before him. They are penned in darkness, literal darkness, like in a cave darkness. And you better believe that David probably wrestled with, you said I was gonna be king. What in the world, man? How is this even possible? So Psalm 57 starts this way. David says, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will, who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me, interlude. 
I bet most of us just jump right over interlude. I bet most of us are like, interlude, that's dumb. I'm just gonna keep reading. The truth is, it's there for a reason. It's actually there to cause us to pause and consider everything we just heard. This would have been read out loud, it would have been sung out loud, and there was meant to be a pause, because we're so quick to move on, you actually have to be instructed to pause. Some of your translations may say, say Selah, to breathe, to take a moment, to consider everything that you just read. That interlude is meant to stop you, to consider what was just sung in times of trouble, times of running, times of being alone. Have you thought, God have mercy on me? See, the psalmist knew God's holiness, God's bigness, God's power, God's majesty, God's creative work, God, God reflected in the mountains and everything. He knew the bigness of God. So he would say the words, who am I that you would be mindful of me? Have you ever thought, who am I? that you would look on me with mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. It's compassion being shown to an offender. David knew that if it was not for God's mercy, he would be done anyways. Do you pause long enough to go, God, who am I that you would have mercy on me? David begins with his acknowledgement for mercy. He knows that he is hiding in this cave, but he's not really hiding in the cave. He's hiding in the presence of God. David may have physically been hiding in the darkness of a cave, but the truth is, it's why we sing the songs or we hear the words that I was hiding in the shadow of your wings. Sometimes when it's dark, may not be the enemy or the world, but it may be the shadow of the Almighty holding you close. David was hiding in a cave, but he was truly hiding in the presence of God. By declaring he needed God's mercy, he was saying, I know that if it's not for you, I'm done anyways. I will begin there. Psalm, 53, uh, Psalm 57, three says this, my God, will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. Yes, in darkness. Yes. In darkness, David knew that he was being chased by an army, but he was not so much concerned about being chased by an army. He was more consumed with being chased by God's unfailing love and faithfulness. Like, he could have been like, oh no, there's an army chasing me. But he's actually saying, guess what? God's love and unfailing love and his faithfulness, that's coming after me too, and that is gonna catch me. When's the last time you said that? When's the last time you were so consumed with God's love and his faithfulness in Christ catching up to you? to know that it is on its way and it's not gonna be stopped and it's, it's gonna make its way to you more so than the very real things that you see right, right behind you. 
Yet David knew he was being chased by an army, but he knew he was being pursued by God's faithfulness and his unending love. When's the last time you paused, interlude, to recognize that? I think we skip on to the next things more often than not. That's part of the reason we're going to hear David's response as he does. David expresses a confidence in God's mercy. Listen to David's words again in Psalm 57 too. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. These wills, okay? When David is saying God will, he's not speaking out of some positivity, speaking something into existence. He's not the power of the secret. It's not positive outlook on life. He is saying these things because his theology is correct. He's saying these things because he knows who God is and what he's done, so he has every reason to be confident. He has no reason to doubt that God will not fulfill his promises. He has every reason to believe that God can fulfill his promises because he's seen him do it before, and he's seen him do it through history. This isn't just about speaking my existence. No, no, that doesn't happen. Guys, I wish we would just think logically sometimes about those things that we hide in our hearts that we believe. Saying something positive doesn't turn your situation around. Sometimes you will walk through garbage. And sometimes I can't tell you, hey, I know it's gonna get better. All I can tell you is our God reigns. That's all I can say. I can't look you in the face and go, hey, I know things are gonna turn up. Things are gonna get better. You are right around the corner from your breakthrough. I don't know that. But what we do know is our God reigns. And he's over all these things. He's present. And his unfailing love and his faithfulness is chasing after us and it is guaranteed to catch us. That's what I can tell you. And David expresses that kind of confidence in God. It's like when my kids, when they were younger, and, and they still do a little bit now, when I played basketball with them, they would, one of my children would be like, Dad, you're on my team. And then one of my sons would go, that's not fair. You're going to win. Why would they make that statement? Why would they make that statement? Because I'm pretty okay. I'm pretty okay. They know that I will be the reason that they win. They said those things because they had been dunked on by their father. They said those things because I, I have won all the time, you know? Now, now Zeke is getting better. He's getting older. I'm starting to have little pains from having to play for real against him. Like, it's changing now. But in the early days, when they were five... I would put Malachi's basketball shot out into the streets, man. Like, you bring that in, it's going out. But the reason they would look at, each, look at us and go, that's not fair, you're going to win, they only made that statement because they knew who I was. 
God's purpose will happen for me. David knew that nothing is out of God's control. Nothing will thwart God's plan. Do you remember the story? God told David, you're the next king. But David's looking around going, I'm hiding in a cave. There's armies around me. It's in darkness. I can't see forward. I can't see anywhere to go. This entire nation is against me. But God, you made the promise. You made the promise. This has everything to do with our theology. And friends, theology are our God thoughts. What you think about God is ultimately the most important thing about you. And if your view of God is not lined up with the scripture and you are committed to that incorrect view of who God is, the worse off it will be for you. David's view of God was one of he is over all things. So because he is and he is powerful and he is faithful and he has promised, I can't see it right now. But I know that it will come to pass. Not because David's faithful, but because God is faithful. That's why it would happen. Now, David stays honest I told you, he's not speaking positive things into the universe. He's very realistic. Psalm 57, verse 4. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. Interlude. It's like, God, these sharp teeth, they're hurting, they're painful, but be exalted. God, the traps, they're here, be exalted. God, the sharp teeth, they're coming. I feel, this is what I feel like, be exalted. But I see the traps, like, do you feel the tension? Like, do you feel it? Like, it's, it's this honesty before God that goes, I know what I'm seeing, but here's my desire, but I also know what I'm feeling, but here's my desire, and I know, like, this is this, this wrestling that's going on, and it's an amazing picture of a David who's like, I'm not putting my head in the sand. See, this is, the, this is what many of us have to understand is that we do not, Christians, Christ followers, do not live as people with their heads in the sand. We don't avoid hard things, nor, do we, nor are we free from those hard things. Being a Christ follower does not negate that I will have any struggles in this world. I just have a belief in a God who's bigger than those things. If you remember the story of the, the 12 spies, 10 were bad and two were good. All right, you remember that? When, when God said, here's the promised land, I want you to go check it out. 12 went, 10 were bad and two were good. Like they weren't bad because they were doing bad things. When they came back, they gave a report. They said, you should see the giants in the land. You should see how hard it's gonna be. You should see how difficult everything is gonna be to everyone around. Look, we should not go in there. But then you had two who go, you should see how everything is. You should see how big the giants are. You should see how difficult it is. But we should go in there because guess what? God's bigger than those things. They didn't go, those weren't giants. They didn't go that, oh, it's not going to, it's going to be easy. Positivity, speaking into the universe. No. They were like, we have every reason not to go in there except for one. And God is bigger. We got one reason to go in, and that's the reason we need to do. So when the song says, 10 were bad and two were good, 
is they didn't let the circumstances determine their, their trust in a big God. They just said, we know you're big, we'll walk with you. David starts with a cry for mercy, then he declares his confidence, he expresses the reality of the situation, but then, listen to Psalm 57, worship comes onto the scene. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. We learn a lot about Christian worship in David's situation. Worship is not dependent on us getting to the end of our struggle. Christian thanksgiving and worship and mission is revealed in the midst of it. Do you know how many times... Christ followers' stories often involve people going, I don't know how you suffer so well. The number of times a, a funeral that I have done or, or, or a, a story from a person who's like, I just was amazed at how with so much grace they walked through these trials. See, now that's not the story we want, right? We don't want that story. But when we know that it's God's purposes and his glory being proclaimed through everything that goes on in my life, we look at all those opportunities and go, God, you don't waste anything. I don't understand it. I see the teeth. I see the traps. I feel like they're sharp pains. But God, you be exalted. It's a very different response. God's goodness never running out. God's unfailing love never running out. His faithfulness never running out. And David starts with his own heart. He says, my heart, my heart is tempted to look to other places for my confidence, but my heart needs to wake up to the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. My heart needs to sing this song out loud. Wake up, heart. And David says, I will sing. I will stir my heart for your name. Friends, when we come together on a Sunday morning and you see words and we're all singing the same thing, it is not because Christians need a version of karaoke that has clean lyrics. That's not why we do it. When we come in here at 9 a.m., not 9.15, but 9 a.m., and we're able to look at that screen and declare those words out loud, you know what we're saying? Wake up, heart. Wake up. Be reminded, you have had a lot of junk come at you this week. You have been tempted to run to confidence in other things. Wake up, heart. Like, get it going. If you guys need the defibrillators to, to walk around, like, clear. Like, whatever it takes, wake up, heart. I'm not going to come in lazily and look at you lazily, but I know I need to see you for who you are, so heart, wake up. David points at his own heart and says, I need to know of your faithfulness and your love because I've been tempted to go other places. And then he says, thank you, which is amazing. 
Not around a Thanksgiving table, not at a buffet, not with turkey and all the stuffing, but on a cave floor that Saul has more than likely relieved himself on, hiding. Thank you, God. I will thank you among the people. I will praise you among the nations. Our thanksgiving, your thanksgiving is not just for you. I hope you get that as Christ followers, that our thanksgiving is not meant to be this hidden, personal, intimate journaling moment. It actually is global. Like our thanksgiving is the fuel for what takes this news worldwide. And if we sit here and go, I just need to be a more thankful person. I just need to be a more thankful person. I just need to be a more thankful person. You know what's going to happen? We're just not going to be thankful people. We're going to be, we're going to get down on ourselves. We're going to be like, I'm not thankful. I'm not thankful. I'm terrible. I'm a terrible person. Rather than doing that, maybe we should just go, guess what? God's unfailing love and his faithfulness has caught up to me. And I want you to know that. And I don't know how else to do that. I could say it with words. I could show it with deeds. But I just need you to know that his love is chasing after you and you you need to let him catch you. Like, like, that's how Thanksgiving goes public. Thanksgiving is not meant to stay personal. My goodness. We have so bought the lie of the, my individual, my me, my me time. My, no. If you're looking for this inward focused faith, Christianity is not for you. I'm telling you right now, if all you want is personal, private moments alone, no. It goes public, folks. Christian worship and Christian thanksgiving was never meant to be kept at an individual level. It was meant to infect and influence cultures and reveal a kingdom that Jesus came to bring. Now, as we continue, and as we continue worship this morning, the band can come. This brings us to the point of the morning. And the simple point is, your thanksgiving isn't just for you. Your thanksgiving is global. As David says in Psalm 57, listen, verse nine, I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. What does this mean? Does it mean that maybe you should just grab a guitar and start skipping around the city, praise songs and telling people to sing along with you? Is that, is that what it means? Is that what the world needs? At this moment, a bunch of merry men and women running around with lyres and harps singing out loud in the street. Is that, is that really what we need? For David to say, God, let your glory shine over all the earth. Are we somehow praying for a magical glitter bomb to go off? 
and just like, God, if you just glitter bomb the world with your glory, let it ooze all over the planet, like, it would be so amazing. Is that, is that what David's saying in this moment? Like, God, I, let, let those things praise you, let your glory shine, like, is that, is that what David means? Or does he mean more? I can tell you the answer is no. While we believe that creation does declare the glory of the Lord, we do know that God fills the universe with his unfailing love and faithfulness. I get to fill the universe with his praise. Have you thought that you've been invited in to be a part of filling the universe with his praise? Like, we get to do that. Like, this is why we talk about no rock is going to cry out in my place. Like, the rocks are going to praise if we don't. That should be a challenge. That should cause me to go, if I hold it in, that rock is going to do my job. How dare you, rock? How dare you? You will not praise my God more than me because you don't know as much about his unfailing love and his mercy and his grace as I do. Rock, unless you've hit somebody in the head, which you might have, I don't know. I, I have. I've done all those things and yet God still reaches to me. This thanksgiving and this praise and this glory filling the earth is you and me walking as the body of Christ, sharing this message of goodness, both in word and deed. Sometimes it's going to take more than words and it's gonna take you going, you know what? Because God has reconciled me to him, I wanna be about reconciliation in this world. Because God has shown me kindness, then I wanna walk in a way that reveals the kindness of God. Because God has shown me the beauty of new life, I want to be about works of beauty. I want to be about works of wholeness. Because God has made me whole, I wanna be about works of wholeness that see other people made whole. But I also know that those works alone don't declare Jesus' name. And I have to be one who is able to declare the one who's done those things in me. I will work with my hands towards those things, but I will also declare his praise. And guess what happens? As that message goes out, more and more and more of his people walking in that obedience, seeing people believe the good news. Guess what's happening? His glory is filling the earth. I mean, Christians have quoted for thousands of years, the glory of God is man fully alive. Christ in us, the hope of glory. For the glory of God to fill the earth, it is the church to be the church, to be declares of the message. Isaiah 52 says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. Your thanksgiving is not personal. Your thanksgiving is global. As we go to the corners to take communion this morning, when I was in Israel, I, I learned that in Israel's history, Israel had six cities that were founded as cities of refuge. So if you 
in rage or accidentally killed someone and their family or their people were chasing you to get retribution, you could run to one of these six cities and you would not be harmed. Every year, one time a year, the rabbis that lived in those cities had a road clearing project. And it was to keep the roads cleared to these cities of refuge so that there were no obstacles for these people to make their way to refuge. When we go to this table, guess who's cleared the road to refuge? Guess who's cleared the road to hiding in the shadow of God's wings? Guess who's cleared the road for the unfailing love of God and the unfailing mercy and it's always chasing, always pursuing? Guess who cleared the road? Yes, you may feel like you're hiding in a cave right now. Take shelter in the shadow of his wing instead. Yes, you may feel like, oh man, I'm in darkness. I'm in this cave. I'm in this hole. Take refuge in the empty tomb. You may feel I, I've been running. Well, stop and take refuge in Christ's work this morning. Wake up, heart. Wake up. Father, this morning as we go to the tables, I am begging for an understanding that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, but we would have never heard that message had you not been sent to us. And we would have never believed it if you had never spoken it. And we would have never called on you if we'd never heard it. Would you send us back out because you were first sent to us? Don't let us keep this Thanksgiving personal. May it be global. It's in your name we pray.